the four o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, this is the latest on the Raiders and uh, players past and present when it comes to Tamper Day, which is turning into signing day. Not official, but around the NFL, we've had probably, what, 50 or 60 moves already announced or by the media. Malik Collins is gone. One-year, $6 million deal to the Texans. Nelson Aguilar is gone. Any more confirmation on the money there? Is it two years and $26 million? Two years, $26 million. All right. That was probably the, the high end of keeping Aguilar around, right? I mean, feasibly, it would have worked at like maybe eight or nine million for the Raiders, but thirteen is a little too rich. And I think if you're if you're a Raiders fan and you're looking at this and saying, "Oh, that sucks," we lost Nelson Aguilar. He was he had such a good season. He was great last year. Sure, but you also have to realize if you would have matched that offer, that would be ridiculous. You can't put yourself in that situation. So yeah. if the guy's going to make that much on the open market. You got to let him go. So Aguilar's a USC guy. That's a traditional power. Still looking to get back to good times. Nebraska is one of those schools. Uh, not even close to where USC is. Like USC is down from where it wants to be. Nebraska is it's dreadful right now. It's a, it's a 500 program, if that. Did you see the story that came out over the weekend, uh, late Friday, early Saturday, that Nebraska and Oklahoma are playing on September 18th? You know, they're not in the same conference anymore. Big eight at the time. It's one of the it's one of those yearly games that we've lost because of the stupid conference realignment stuff. And Nebraska should still be in the in the Big Twelve. The Big Ten, frankly, frankly, Nebraska's not a match for the Big Ten. It's it's a moderate to I'm not gonna say a crappy school, but academically it doesn't hold up. It just doesn't. And then last year they bitched and moaned about and I don't want to get into it all the you know the COVID stuff, but Nebraska should be in the Big Twelve. Anyway. So they they were playing a game, Nebraska and Oklahoma, to you know mark the 50th anniversary of one of their greatest games ever. It was called at the time the game of the century in 1971, number one and number two, and they were calling around to get out of the game. So apparently, some schools snitched on them. I guess Old Dominion was one of the schools they called to play instead of <laughs> Oklahoma. I mean, and it kind of shows you where the program is now. And I don't know if that was prompted by Scott Frost, but is there is there any other historic game they could mark the remembrance of? Like find some other, find some other know, school. Right? It was the game of the week of 1994. <laughs> right, right. Us against I don't know, West Nebraska State. We should do this again. I could look it up, but I'm too lazy. But I get your point. This is the joke. We don't need uh, a specific I game. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like did they play West Nebraska? No. 1994. Yeah, or is that a school? I don't yeah. even know. So they were trying to get out of the game of the century celebration because that maybe they fear they're they're going to get their teeth kicked in. They, they should try to get out of it. <laughs> it's not going to go well for them. And also, if I'm Besides another the point, man, if I'm another team on their schedule, I'd probably be looking and saying, uh, "Well, this is good news for us. They're probably not very good, and they know it." It's a good point. Uh, all of this signing stuff and agreement stuff. I'm not going to say started over the weekend, but one of the big stories over the weekend was Aaron Jones actually coming back. 
it's weird on a couple of fronts. They picked a running back in the second round last year. Yeah. Why? When Aaron Rodgers is 50 years old, he's not. He's 37. That's weird. I also think they got a bargain here, don't you? No. You don't think so? Four years, $48 million no. with a $13 million bonus for a top-end running back? It's a running back. Isn't that like – isn't that Joe Mixon? Well, Joe Mixon got a lot less guaranteed. But it's it, it's a it's a continued resetting of the market, but it's also – like, it's telling you, this, this is it. Like, this is about as good as you are. And McCaffrey got a ma- massive deal. Right. Uh, and then, of course, he got hurt right away, which shows why you shouldn't be signing running backs to massive contracts. Uh, but it, it's basically saying, like, this is the top of the market, I think. So there's no more $16, $17 million a year running backs? I don't think so. So and jo- it, Josh Jacobs and company, like, this is about if, if you're around longer with the Raiders, and he's only after, you know, it's only two years in, but, he, you know, he's, I'm sure he's thinking, like, hey, what's, what's coming up here? This is about it, which is still, you know, freaking generational money. It's a lot of money. Sure. But – the message again is being set that, well, what did uh, I'm trying to think? Wasn't there another big deal last year? Kamara. Hey, what did Kamara wind up getting? Are you saying that? I, th- I think this is a resetting, and also. Oh, you're saying you're saying this is the new ceiling, right? Not, but I, not Kamara. I also feel like, um, first of all, I don't understand the signing. I don't understand why, as you said, you draft a running back last year. You also have another good running back on your roster, uh, and then you still re-sign Aaron Jones like it doesn't as good as he is and, and as well as he played I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense so once you make the pick in the second round of AJ Dillon that's it you're committed you can't go back on it well especially when you already took you already took Aaron yeah. Rodgers replacement in the first round uh, Derek, Derek Henry got four years 50 million but he got 25 million guaranteed so he only got two more million over the course of the deal and Alvin Kamara got what five seventy five, which is very high, uh, but yeah, I do think this is a resetting uh, of the market, and and I also just feel like uh, you also when you mentioned Josh Jacobs in this, like Henry is an exception, he's a he's ridiculous, but mostly it's got to be a dual threat guy. Like Jones was pr- pretty active in the passing game, you've got to be that guy if you're just a running back. Good luck to you. I mean, you, they're going to use you for your five years on your rookie deal, let you go wherever you want to go, and if somebody overpays, that's fine for you. But like, that is not the kind of player that's going to get a massive contract because they're they're easily replaceable. And you know, you might take a maybe he's not quite as good the replacement, but it's going to be on a rookie deal, which is so much so much more helpful for the team. Like that's just the situation, the reality of the situation right now in terms of running backs in the NFL. It's why teams are so hesitant to take first round running backs. Uh, because you're, you know, you're you're paying them a lot more, and because it, it's not, it's too much resources to dedicate to a running back. And do you think this Ngakwe deal is actually a smart one? Borderline bargain. I think it's definitely a bargain. You, you were fine when it came out that it was two years and thirty-six million, which was wrong. Yeah, I thought that was. I thought you're that like, was. You're like, okay. Like, all right. I mean, if it was 22, 21, 22, I was gonna think that was way too much. 18 was in more in line with what I thought it would be. 18 a year, 21, 22 a year. Now it's 13 a year. 13 a year is, to me, it's a bargain. Now, you know, as Eric Eager pointed out, and I, as I think a lot of people that watch a lot of film have pointed out, like there is some, you know, some detriment uh, that you can mark off on, on Yannick Ngakwe. One being that he's 
you know, he's kind of a, a specialty guy in terms of, you know, just putting him out there in passing situations where he thrives the most. Uh, he also is a kind of more of a cleanup type of sack guy. Like he gets there, but it ta- it, it's not like immediate right off the ball where he changes the game for your secondary, which, you know, I think he was that kind of guy a couple years ago, and I think he might be more in Gus Bradley's system. He might end up being that kind of guy again. Um, another uh, a tape guy that I was following on Twitter was pointing out that he's kind of a one-move guy, and he said, hey, he's the best in the league at that move, but he's basically a one-move guy, which makes him somewhat predictable as a pass rusher. Uh, so there, there is some, some you know, yellow flags in terms of looking at uh, Yannick Ngakwe, but I think that he so fills the position and he's so good at that specialty and the one that the Raiders needed so badly that he makes a lot of sense. And the, the fact that they get him for $13 million a year for the next two years, it's not that much of a risk. We'll break this move down with uh, Ben Lieber, who works in Minnesota. Got to see Ngakwe in town for six games last year. Remember, he was uh, with the Vikings and then with the Ravens. And, of course, Ben spent his time around the National Football League, so we'll get his take on uh, what the Patriots have done. A very active day, but have they overspent on a lot of these guys? Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Busy day as it's leaking out on this tampering day where uh, many NFL free agents are going to sign, including with the Raiders. They uh, lose a couple of guys. They gain one in in Gakwe. Ben Lieber played in the NFL. He works for K-Fan in Minneapolis. He announces games all season long. Ben, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We appreciate you coming on on really short notice. We wanted to lean on you for some Ngakwe knowledge. But before any of that, I do want to mention some college basketball here for a second. Richard Patino could become a hot candidate at uh, multiple stops in the Mountain West Conference. So what's the latest with Richard Patino at Minnesota, and how do you feel about him uh, potentially staying around? Well, look, man, I, I've gotten to know Richard uh, quite well. <laughs> I coached his kid and in baseball and uh our kids go to the same school and i tell you what man i mean he's he's gotten a lot of a lot of fans around here and you know i know that he's faced a lot of scrutiny because every coach that comes into the u of m faces the same criticism of hey look we've got these super talented kids that come out of the twin cities in minnesota why can't we keep them and you know it's it's something that he struggled to do as well but you know, they, they had some great wins. It just seems like that, that's a team that needs all the things to work right. And, and it just didn't in this COVID year. And so you've got people on both sides of it. You know, people want a, a fresh look. They want a fresh coach. They always think that the next coach is going to keep some of these kids, um, like the Suggs kid that was at Minnehaha Academy, now at Gonzaga. Um, but the reality is when those teams come calling, it's, it's hard to stay at the U. But um, I, I, um, I hope he stays. You know, I don't know if it's official, but it sounds like he is, is on the way out. Yeah, reports coming down that he's he's probably out. So yeah. it looks like it's coming down in the last couple of minutes. So we'll see. I know there are going to be some teams in the mountain, some schools in the Mountain West Conference talking to him. I know New Mexico and uh, uh, UNLV may lose its coach to Iowa State. So I don't know if he'd be in the mix for that one. But uh, interesting stuff on 
on Richard Pitino. All right, well, let's talk about some of the uh, free agent moves already today. And it's funny, the Raiders said, hey, you know, we're going to be quiet on day one. We're not going to have any blockbusters. Yannick Ngakwe is a blockbuster-type guy. You got to see him for a handful of games, and we talked to you before he got there. So I uh, want your take on the kind of player he is and what you saw for that limited time in Vikings land. Well, clearly, I think the Vikings, um, they they didn't get the best into that deal. I mean, Ngakwe had, what, five sacks in six games or something like that for the for the Vikings. And, um, you know, was, was an impact player. And then, you know, we gave up a second-round pick, and then we didn't get that sort of value when we traded him away. So when it comes to all that, I think we, we got the wrong end of it. You know, listen, he, he padded the stats when he was here, and, and I think that he's a threat. I will, I will caution you on your enthusiasm, though, because I think one of the reasons why it seemed like he was in and out and uh, here and gone so quickly He's not really a first and second down guy, and I think we saw that right away. Yes, he can get after the quarterback, but too many times it'd be first and second down, clearly rundowns or run situations, and what was he doing? He was flying up the field trying to get after the quarterback on a play action or, or some sort of drop back pass, and oftentimes kind of exposing that, that right defensive side um, of that defense in the run game. And so I actually thought that he was a run liability uh, just from a always guessing trying to get to the quarterback. And, and he's, not, um, he's not a stout guy. You know, he's a long, lean, linear guy with those super long arms to, uh, to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. But when it comes to being a, a dude that was, that's going to be a run stopper plus uh, getting after the passer, I don't think that he's a complete defensive end. What would you think of him as if the Raiders' plan was, hey, he's going to be playing on passing downs and that's it, is that a role that he could fill? Well, for sure. And, and – I you know, let's be honest. I mean, the, the NFL now is 60%, 65% pass. And, and so, yes, there's more value in those guys, even if they are just pure pass rushers. Um, but I think you have to caution yourself, and, and balance is key to everything. And if, you're, uh, if you guys have a defense in which you feel like you can play complimentary football, stopping the run and getting after the passer, then great. You know, the, the Vikings were not in that situation. You know, Michael Pierce opted out. Daniel Hunter was not playing. Uh, we had injuries uh, with Anthony Barr in the second level, and um, and our corners were super young. We couldn't stop the run. So, you know, you guys know first and foremost, it's not just a cliche. You have to stop the run to help your defense out. And so Ngakwe would have been great if we could stop the run, but we couldn't do that. And so he just got exposed, our defense got exposed, and then you felt like you could get a little bit of value back for, uh, on another trade, and so they made the move. And so... Yeah, if you guys feel like your defense can stop the run in first and second down and get predictable and your offense can score, then he's a hell of an asset. Do you think he would have been traded? I ask this question because I see a lot of Raiders fans already you know, up in arms like, hey, this guy's been on four teams in seven months. Why would you want this guy? He's clearly a problem. <laughs> like, he wouldn't have been traded if he had a contract, right? It was just because there's not much more they can get out of him. He was going to be a free agent anyway. Why not get what you can for him? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of wondered the same thing. You know, even when the Vikings were trading for him, you know, I tried to do as much due diligence as possible, and I reached out to some people that knew him, and they're like, he's, he's actually a really good guy. And, um, you know, the people at, in, the, in the Jaguars organization loved him. You know, he was, he's, a, he's a team guy, and he helped out the organization. He helped out in the community. They're like, we had no problems with him. So everybody was excited from just a, a man standpoint, like, who are we going to get? 
And it didn't sound like he ruffled any feathers, and it sounded like he was a good teammate. So I, I do think I, I'm with you. I think it was a, he's a victim of circumstance when it comes to contracts. And um, as, as we all know, that players are commodities that can be bought, sold, and traded. And so I think it just happened to be that way, and teams are finding value just for those short moments um, and then not willing to give him a big contract. So today is not free agent. Free agency has not started, but it seems like it has. I mean, this is, this is crazy. It started. <laughs> we, all, we all woke up today like, ah, oh, two days away from free agency. Oh, no, it's starting today. Um, this, this has been a kind of a wild day. Did, did you expect so much activity right now considering what we thought was, hey, maybe there's a little feeling out process because the salary cap is where it is and maybe teams are a little hesitant to spend money. Like, this is kind of wild right now. Yeah, it is sort of wild, but you know, you, you everybody's been watching the um, the cap values and the cap space situation, and you know, there's there's still a, a large portion of the league that had a lot of cap space, even even though the salary cap did not increase the the, the way they're hoping, and and so you have some major players in there with some money, and uh, and why not utilize that and leverage that to get some of the top tier guys? And I, I'm kind of with you. I knew that there was going to be. We all knew that there's going to be tampering going on. We all knew. You know, even even weeks beforehand, that agents are talking to teams and all that stuff, and they're just doing a better job of keeping it quiet. Um, but you know, I, I didn't realize there's going to be so much activity on day one of, of the legal tampering period, and so it's been fun. You know, I'm I'm excited to see what what New England's doing. And, you know, it's exciting to see what some of these other teams are doing. You know, Cleveland's in a good situation right now. Uh, Kansas City, they. They shored up their off their interior their offensive line a little bit. They still have some work to do, but um, yeah, it's been kind of fun to watch all the activity. Your thoughts on uh, how busy the Patriots have been? <laughs> I like it, man. I I think that uh, we obviously all respect that organization, what it's been able to do, and and I think it's fun to get in that that debate with Tom Brady and, and Belichick. But the one thing that I really respect out of the Patriots organization is their ability to evolve, you know, and and it doesn't matter which players they have, they come in that come in. And I know that they look for a certain type of player to fit their offense, but they've been willing to adapt, you know, offensively and defensively to what they are, and not only to, to scout the right guys, but they do have to make switches in their scheme a little bit to be successful. And it looks like to me that instead of the, the, the dink and dunk precision game, it looks like they're going for speed. They're going for field stretching ability. They're going for big plays. Right now, currently, they got a, they got one quarterback that's got a big arm. Um, he's not very good with the short intermediate passes. He lacks some of that touch and accuracy. So you're starting to see some speed uh, on the outside and on the inside of the tight end position now that they're like, hey, instead of these uh, short passes, we're going to open this thing up and see if we can get down the field. So last year when we watched him, he, Cam Newton didn't seem to be able to get the ball down the field. Was that because he had no weapons? Because, man, against the Raiders, it was like uh, the dink and dunk was the only thing they had. He completed some of them. Some of them nosedive, But anything beyond 20 yards looked terrible. I know. And, and I, think that, um, I think that's a product of, of you know, whatever you know, little injuries that he's had and probably just being uncomfortable um, in the first year in that system and then not having the right type of guys. I, I just think that he's a guy that, just, he's going to learn how, how to just throw it up and trust his guys to go and get it. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be dropping it in the bucket every time. He, the guys are going to have to go and work for it a little bit. But as of right now, I think that's sort of the game that he's going to try to get to and, and their offense is going to try to get to. I don't 
Like, I don't think that he is a dink and dunk guy. It, it might work, but I don't really think that that's his style and that's what he wants to do. Ben Lieber's with us at Nacho Lieber. I saw you putting out some tweets, essentially a wish list for the Vikings. So what <laughs> what, what are the positions of need? I mean, uh, it looks like uh, one of the guys already came off the board, but what are the big positions of need for the Vikings? Well, looking at the way the draft is shaping up, you know, right now they have major holes in every part of the defense. You know, they, they do get Michael Pierce back from, from the COVID opt-out. Who knows what's going to happen with him? They still need a, a rock star three technique. Um, if Daniil Hunter stays, we don't know what's going on with that situation, and we still need a defensive end on the other side. So you've got two positions there on the defensive front. Uh, I'd like to see them add another linebacker. You know, Anthony Barr restructured his contract. He's going to be free agent a year sooner than they, than they thought. They've got some young corners. They're probably not going to keep Anthony here at Paris at safety. So you, now you need another safety as well and then depth at corner. So um, that being said, in the draft, you're not going to get an interior defensive tackle high in the draft. They're just it's just not a great quality draft. I don't think that they're in a position to get uh, quitty pay or anything like that as, a, as far as a defensive end. So I think those are the two roles that they need to fill in free agency. And, you know, one of my wish list guys was, was Solomon Thomas. And, you know, I know you guys are, are kind of close to the action there in the Bay Area, uh, obviously not anymore, but I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar with him that injured, you know, has, has some red flags to his, his medical history. But, you know, when he's healthy – that dude's, a, that dude's a monster, and, and I just think there's a lot of value there. You don't have to pay him top, top dollar because he's still got a lot to prove with his durability, and I think that he kind of checks a lot of boxes for the Vikings. So, um, you know, that's, that's number one. And then, uh, you know, after that, there's some corners out there that I think they could fill the slot position because they need, a, they need to fill that as well. Is there any chance to get involved in the draft and, you know, look at a quarterback of the future? You know, that's been rumored. Um, I think I think it's I think it's wise for them to, to find, you know, maybe you maybe use a third or fourth rounder on a quarterback, somebody a little bit more mobile. Um, there's talks that Sean Mannion's gonna come back. I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment. I don't think that you find you have a quarterback that absolutely mirrors your starting quarterback. I I think it's kinda nice to have a backup quarterback that's a little bit opposite than what your starting quarterback is. Obviously, they can still run the offense. Um, so if they can find a little bit more of a, a mobile quarterback, I don't know if he's going to be the quarterback of the future, but I, I just like the idea of upgrading from Sean Mannion, to be honest with you. Um, and I don't think that you spend pick number 14 at quarterback. Um, frankly, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be one there. It seems like if uh, very likely five of the, the top five quarterbacks will be taken before 14. I actually just uh, published my, my mock draft uh, that I was working on this weekend, and I did have Quiddy Pay fall, falling to the Vikings, and I said they would run to the window uh, to make that <laughs> selection. So uh, we'll see if they can do that. My question, though, was if the Bears do get Russell Wilson, and it's looking like that's possible, like does it change the Vikings' plan of like now you're building toward the future, or, is this, or do they not care maybe what the other teams would do in the division? Hmm, please don't say that. That's going to give me nightmares um, just as a fan. Um, yeah, it does. You know, we've, we, every, every draft, you know, kind of like the, you know, some of the throwaway questions when we talked to, to Rick Spielman after the draft, we, we just kind of asked, like, you know, do you guys look around at the division to see what the, the division opponents are doing and, and how they're building teams? And, yes, he's like, yes, you have to. You know, you'd be, you'd be sort of ignorant not to look at how the other teams are building their teams. And, and so, yeah, I think that does change how the Vikings approach the draft and everything they do from that standpoint, that 
all right, if they get a mobile quarterback, and thankfully we've seen Russell Wilson the numerous times the last couple of years, that they know exactly what it takes to try to beat him uh, defensively. So, yeah, it kind of changes absolutely your, your philosophy. And it gets tough because you, you've, got, you've still got Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, you know, Aaron is not quite as mobile as he used to be. So you've got to defend against him, and then you got to defend against the guy like Russell Wilson. So it's going to be tough. Ben, thank you. We appreciate it. We know he called you on a very short notice, so thanks for stepping up for us. No problem, guys. Anytime, and enjoy this, uh, this quote-unquote tampering period <laughs> And uh, as, as much as I am. Oh, we are. We are. It's a new NFL city. It's been fun. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to get out there one of these days and check out that amazing stadium. I tell you hey, what, yeah. that thing is sweet. Hey, you got to do it. We are, we're going to let fans come in. Media actually can go in there. So we, we appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. No problem, guys. Have a good one. Well, media could go in last year, but sure. Only it's, only the high level guys like yourself, the scrubs like myself. Eh. We we try to keep you. Actually, we voted. We're like no Cofield. Well, that would have worked if I'd applied one time to go to a game. But sure, so I, I really didn't. I didn't want to go there uh, under the circumstances uh, that we were dealing with. So I will say the the press box, uh, not to sound like a spoiled media member, media member is uh, pretty high. It is very. And I'm high. blind. I like it up there though. It's nice. It is. It's a good view. It is. Uh, was not exactly uh, super pro. You just got a bargain, a $13 million guy there on no. Yannick Ngakwe. No. And that's kind of what I expected to hear from some people about maybe Ngakwe's rep took a little hit last year. Yeah, I think, I think that's Or maybe he was in the wrong defenses. And, and well, going so with Gus Bradley, they're going to be able to you know make him more effective early in downs and, and get him more disciplined too. Let's also say, like I, I understand that there's a perception of – Hey, a def- you know, a pass rush specialist, a defensive end, or hybrid outside linebacker, whatever you want to refer to him as, hey, you just stick him on the field and turn him loose. But he went to a new team before the season with no offseason. Like, right before the year started, he goes to a new team. And then six games into the season, he goes to a new team. Like, it's not exactly the ideal situation for somebody to thrive. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. So we're just talking to Ben Lieber, who uh, is in Minneapolis, former Viking, former Charger, former Kansas State guy. And beginning of the conversation, we're talking about Richard Pitino, coach at Minnesota. Looks like that's over. Eight years, a couple of NCAA appearances, but I think in part because of the name, I actually think he's a pretty good recruiter. I don't know if he can coach, but, you know, New Mexico in a lot of ways is like Vegas, like UNLV, and the big names are sexy. So, according to Jeff Goodman, it says New Mexico is down to Patino and Tim Miles. I don't really see much of a debate here. Do you? Tim Miles. I don't. Now, I'm not saying Richard Pitino isn't a candidate for lots of jobs um, and would be interesting. Like, I think he'd be interesting as a candidate to replace T.J. Altsberger if Altsberger decides to go to Iowa State. I think they should talk to him. But Miles has been in the conference. If you get the choice of the first, you know, one of the two, you get it first, and obviously New Mexico is the open job right now. You grab Tim Miles. He's already won at a place that's a lot harder to win at in Colorado State 
Now, CSU is better funded than New Mexico, but they don't have a basketball tradition, a college basketball tradition. They get, in a normal year, they, when they're really good, they get fans at that place in Fort Collins. But, like, it's not, what is it, like a 7,000-seat arena? It's not jammed all the time. Mexico's weird, man. It's like it's the thing in town. They're like they're, those fans are always on the edge of like we are ready to fill that freaking place, and th- they will love Tim Miles. And Tim Miles would be great. He's so relatable. See, I think again, I'm not, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because we don't know what's going on with Steve Prom at Iowa State. We don't know what's going on with the meeting with him and his AD. We don't know what TJ Altsberger is thinking if he is one of the top three candidates. Uh, Tim Miles would be awesome here because this place. Absolutely requires not only a great coach, but a, a, a big-time ambassador. This is a rebuild job with the fan base. Sure. And and you've got a massive arena. We're par- putting the cart before the horse we again, are. as you said. But no, I'm saying if the job was open, though, then whoever whoever the next person is, you, you can't just bring someone in who is going to be like Bobby Hauk-like. Sure. It's like just let the basketball take care of itself. Like, well, no, that's not that's not what the, that's not all this job entails. There's a very obvious candidate for the job now. I, I think mean, there is too. Uh, it's Todd Simon. Eh. He's winning at Southern Utah. This will be a good debate. I, the guy I would favor. I actually I would jump. I would jump the line, the career line on Kevin Kruger, and just sure. do it. And that that would that would be my choice too. Um, of people that are right. around for sure. I'm not, and my aunt wasn't that Todd Simon isn't a good coach. I I think Kruger is a better candidate. When when Todd Simon took that job, they were terrible. And I might have even told him this. Yeah. I was like, "Good luck, man. What are you doing? Good luck." Yeah. Like you're. I mean, have you been there? Do you are you going to get kids to go to Southern Utah to freaking Cedar City, Utah to play? Yeah. And that team almost won the conference this year. It's crazy what they're doing up there. Uh, you saw some other stuff on on Jeff Goodman's list. Uh, Arch Miller's gone. Boston College hired Charleston's coach. Um, as I was saying earlier, uh, Kansas will be without its third best player, at least by the scoring, Jalen Wilson. McCormack is coming back from COVID. So Kansas got a three seed with two of its top three players in question. One's out for sure for game one. Two's coming back, probably dinged up from COVID, which would be interesting. Yeah. But by the way, the, the Boston College, not that people care no, no, that much. Um that's a really – it's an interesting hire because Earl Grant is a good coach. He's done a great job at Charleston. But Mark Schmidt at St. Bonaventure, like, talk about winning in a place that it's impossible you to know, win at. That's Adam, I, 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 when I was – I was driving around this weekend, and I forget who on national radio. Someone was talking about Bonaventure and where they'd be seated, and I'm like, my God, UNLV hasn't made the tournament in eight years, and the program in Olean, New York, made it. Have you been there? Yes, it is, folks. Because I went, I went there multiple times when you know my school was in the Atlantic Ten. We we road trip. Student radio station was lucky enough to go on the road to Olean, and uh, I swear every time I, th- I was there, it was a blizzard. Every yeah, time, it and sucks. it is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how they get players. It there. sucks. And by the way, he's a BC alum. Oof, I didn't know that. Like, come on, man! Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't get a job there. It's weird. What are you doing? And again, Earl Grant's really good. This uh, this is a very nerdy college basketball conversation, but come on. Mark Schmidt was an obvious candidate at BC, and I don't know how he didn't get that job. It's crazy how you've got uh, two programs in big cities 
I think one's a lot easier to win at than the other, but the uh, the one I'm talking about is DePaul in Chicago. Oh. Oh. So Leto's gone. They have to nail the next person. They can win there. I don't Come know. On. So you're in the you're in the Big Catholic. It's not it's not a major. It's not a power conference. Let's cut this crap out. I saw their There's plenty of list. upper mobility. I was like, come on. I saw the candidate list earlier, and I was like, all right. I, I, like highfalutin names? No. Oh, like, really? Like, like, okay. Well, maybe that's the way to go instead of shooting for big names all the time. Well, shouldn't, as much as I don't like him, like, shouldn't, shouldn't Porter Mosher be the candidate there? He's right there. He's right there. And he's at a fellow <laughs> Jesuit parochial school. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not an AD, so I, I have no idea. But I feel Parker like, Mosier? Yeah, Parker, <laughs> Parker Mosier. I feel like that would be a good fit there. I don't know. All right, let's get some uh, bracket tips, some picks, early picks. I already bet a couple of games. I know Adam already bet a couple of games. And I mentioned last week I already put in for Virginia and Kansas and Villanova for the national championship to try to play the hedge game. John Von Tobel will tell me if I'm stupid for doing that. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. JVT is here. What's up, John? Yo, what's going on, guys? Just kicking back, relaxing, watching some NBA. Okay, good deal, good deal. I feel like we're uh, taking over one of your spots. Have you have you done shows from down here at Bar Canada? Uh, yeah, so my podcast, Hardwood Handicappers, we actually uh, record from there. I'm sure it's the same. The big table? You guys at the big table? We're at the big table, yes. I get a big yeah, guitar big. pick. Yes, that is. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Then, then now I have another squiggle in my brain. Uh, yes, that is where I, we record the Hardwood Handicappers podcast at every Thursday. All right. Let's talk some hardwood with the NCAA tournament. Uh, did you get any money down immediately last night on individual spots? Uh, no, I, I didn't get in on anything uh, pregame. And to, to be perfectly forefront, you know, I haven't been up to date. Uh, and in terms of watching the games on a night-to-night basis, I have been doing research uh, over the last few days. But obviously betters have uh, with the numbers up. And we do have quite a few moves uh, to discuss, at least in terms of points. You know, uh, UCSB, for example, moving from a 10-point favorite uh, to now about a 7-point favorite, depending on where you look in their game against Creighton, right? Creighton gets blown out by Georgetown in the Big East final, so maybe some move there, some respect for UCSB. West Virginia gets that up from a 10-point favorite immediately to about 12-and-a-half, depending on where you shop for your numbers. And then you had two games uh, that opened pick with two teams now solidly favored, Loyola Chicago, a two-point favorite in their matchup uh, right now in most spots. And then uh, over Georgia Tech, I should know. Uh, and then Oklahoma, a two-point favorite right now in their matchup over Missouri. So those are some of the early moves in now, there's been total moves as well. There's been a couple that have moved two or three points, but from a side perspective, uh, we got money get down early, and those are the six that I think I can't count five. And then we've seen early action on. You missed a, a move, John, and uh, I actually want to ask about this game in particular because when the brackets were going up, I was trying to think in my mind what some of the numbers would be, and there was a game as soon as they announced it, and it's a play-in game, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm betting this game. I don't care what the number is, and I thought it might be – it might be uh, plus one on Appalachian State. It ended up being pick. Now it's all the way up to three. I, I got it at pick. I was very happy. But just as a philosophy for our listeners, like at what point do you, do you think about playing it back and trying to middle it? Like How far would it have to go for you to be like, all right, I think I can play the other side here? You know, I think uh, I don't like a, a game like that, uh, three arguably might be enough uh, to play it back, right? Especially when you consider like, 
the opponent and the way that these teams play, especially a team like Appalachian State, which is a little bit slower in terms of its pace, right? I think it's like 300, what are they, like 300-something in terms of how slow they play right now in the country. Like in games like that, where they're projected to be slower paced and lower scoring, uh, those might be worth a lot more. So I would say like at this point right now, every situation is unique, but the one that you're talking about uh, between two teams with the statistical profile that they have, I would say that's definitely in the in the window of playing it back on the other end for sure. Do do you when you're betting the tournament, do you like to have your your plays in pocket by the time like Friday morning comes along or do you do you want to play games like on Friday? Are you trying to bet the game the same debt? Well, you know, actually, my philosophy has changed a little bit, right? Especially because I've been a little bit more educated in terms of, you know, how I bet and line moves and getting in on the best number. So I, I think every single kind of game is unique. I think in a, in, a year, in a year, I should say, that I have paid attention more, like last year, I would be more willing to get in very early on some of these numbers before they move, right? We just went over five of them that have moved quite a bit. There was another one that you mentioned right there, six. So I think early on, uh, I would tend to look at some of these numbers and get in. A year like this year, for me, I'll probably be more of a later better just because I've been so tied up with my new job with the coverage of the NBA. Uh, shocking, I will admit, that I don't know everything. And so this this is a year where I'll probably be a little bit closer to game time because I just need more time to research these games. So a lot of people love to you know pick a team to maybe win it all, and uh, they make their bet before the tournament starts on a future uh, team to win it. But there's a better way to try to bet on a team as the tournament goes along, right? Yeah, so 100%. And uh, my former colleague of Easton, Jeff Vogel, brought me on to this, and uh, he has spelled it out perfectly for a lot of people. He's definitely worth a follow in terms of, like, sports betting knowledge and uh, ways to approach things a little bit differently. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about a team like Michigan State, for example, that finds itself in a play-in. Uh, you know, if, as we always joke, right, February is uh, Izzo time. You know, you can bet Michigan State at their price to win the NCAA tournament um, and think, you know what, hey, it's Izzo in the dance, give it to me. And I think they're like triple digits or somewhere in that range uh, to win the whole thing. Uh, but realize that they're you know playing in a play-in game, and if you just roll a parlay, it's a rolling parlay. So essentially you bet on a money line and you, bet, you roll that over every single game. If you legitimately believe that they're going to win the tournament, you should do that because you'll more, like, more than likely, if they make that run that you're expecting them, You'll be sitting on theoretically closer to a thousand to one than you would be on a hundred and twenty to one ticket. So those are little things that you should keep in note as a better rolling parlays are your friend. And obviously, Michigan State is one example. But these long shot underdogs, if you think you have a Cinderella, you are better off betting on them money line and rolling over your winnings every single round and getting more of a payoff than you would uh, with betting a future. And the same goes with all of these, right? Like for example, you know, there's odds up to win the sweet or to get to the Sweet Sixteen, to get to the Elite Eight, things like that. You know, instead of laying a 1600 or something like that with Gonzaga, roll money line parlays over if you're willing to do that. Things like that would benefit you a little bit more, but especially with these underdogs. The uh, the other one, I mean, I, I've talked about this one that I had kind of along the same lines, is that I did bet a significant amount on the uh, field against Gonzaga and Baylor with yep. the intention of playing it back. But, like, those are also the kind of things you can try to find of, hey, look, I'm not betting this much money because I'm risking this much money. It's to set myself up for future bets in the tournament. There are, there are numerous ways to go about doing that, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. Look, and it's the same thing with any single sport, right? You know, last year I had a heat ticket at 8-1 to win the NBA Finals. I got to the Finals, you got to play, and I played off that two rounds, right? A little bit on the Eastern Conference Finals, a little bit in the NBA Finals. Like, those are the ways that like a lot of people like, you know, bet on futures and want that to hit all the way, when in reality, sometimes you're betting futures to set yourself up, as you say, 
uh, to get off of them a little bit to hedge, to actually guarantee profit as well, which you can do if you set it up properly. So there's always different ways to approach these things. It's not just, hey, let me bet on Memphis to win this bad boy and then move on from there. No, there's other ways to do it. John, you, uh, you, you, I know you've been talking a lot about the MVP race in the NBA. How much concern is there about Joel Embiid right now? So I would say, like at least in terms of just the injury and big picture, he's, there's not that much concern, right? Like It sounds like it's, two, it's like three weeks at the most. He'll be back in time for the postseason. Uh, big picture championship, all that stuff is way more important uh, than individual accolades. But in terms of winning the MVP, I think this is actually pretty fascinating because Embiid had, for those who don't know, been separating himself for the award. You know, at the uh, season break, uh, I said easily that he was probably going to win that award of the season that ended that day. Uh, he had become the favorite to win the award, and it seemed like had he just maintained his pace, he was going to take it. But things like, you know, he'd already missed six games because of various injuries and resting and things like that. So now you're talking about if he misses all three weeks, you know, the two- to three-week timeline, on top of them being cautious potentially uh, for the rest of the season, he is going to miss more than 25% of the year. And so what that means for the voters and the award, I think it's going to be incredible to see how they handle that. And his odds have already been shifted. You know, a lot of the books took the odds down for the first day or so after the injury and then put him back up. You're talking about a guy who was the favorite guy in the range of like 2-1, to one, some spots even less. Now six to one to win the award, and remember he can still come back in two weeks and be perfectly fine and potentially win it. But it creates a really interesting dynamic from a bet perspective because you can get the guy who was the favorite at six to one now, but with an obvious risk that, of course, he's going to miss even more time once he comes back, and the fact that he's going to miss twenty five percent of the season. So I, I think it's a fascinating dynamic, but it also opens the door for a lot of other guys. Not only just James Harden, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is having a great year. Obviously, LeBron James who's second, and Nikola Jokic. But the odd, the favorite to win the award is now six to one because of an injury, and I, I think that creates an interesting opportunity. So you're saying James Harden is going to win the MVP? I mean, he should. He's been absolutely incredible. You know, the other night against the nobody pays attention. Steve, your boy, he had 12 points in the fourth quarter, scored the last eight for Brooklyn, iced the game with a couple of free throws and floaters. The guy's got ice in his veins, bro. I love him, my guy. Always been my guy. Even back to Arizona State, I couldn't stop talking about him. All right, John, we appreciate it. Thank you. See you, guys. There he is, John Von Tobel, VSIN. He's the uh, chief. I was almost going to use a Wahoo, but I can't use that anymore, right? No, no more Native American stuff. So the, the big, uh, the big poobah. It's not woke of you. The big, it's not woke of me. The big poobah at VSIN when it comes to NBA. Make sure you check him out at me JVT. We're hanging out here. At the D Las Vegas hockey party tonight, another puck party. We're watching the game uh, early on. I'll be here until eight o'clock. VGK taking on the Sharks, and we're on the second floor. It's Bar Canada. We've got draft specials on Miller Coors and Heineken. Also a free VGK Collectors Cup with a uh, draft purchase, and you can sign up to win a free Golden Knights jersey. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.